Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I'm so excited to announce my interview with star of stage and screen, Michael Yuri. Michael made his Broadway debut in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and went on to star in Torch Song, Chicken and Biscuits, and Grand Horizons on Broadway. And his myriad off-Broadway credits include Angels in America, The Government Inspector, Shows for Days, Buyer and Seller, High Button Shoes, and Tony Kushner's A Bright Room Called Day. On screen, he co-starred with Vanessa Williams in Ugly Betty, and currently appears on Apple TV's Shrinking. And now, without further ado, here's Michael Yuri. So I'd love to start off by asking you, how did you first become interested in performing? How did that first? Um, well, I um, I guess I was always kind of performing. When I was a kid, um, a little kid, I would, put, well, even as a big kid, I played with action figures um, you know, like G.I. Joe's and He-Man action figures and Star Wars action figures. And I would I, I wouldn't just play um, you know, what they were meant to play. I wouldn't just play G.I. Joe. I would play, I would sort of act out movies with them. And uh I would I would cast them. So like I would I would I would cast the individual G.I. Joe figures as my favorite actors. So like you know, like even really early on, I was like casting and making movies. I wasn't actually filming those movies, but in my mind, I was. There was like a movie in my mind, you know? And um, so that wasn't for anyone. So I guess that was more just like starting to, you know, hone my imagination. But then I, I thought I really want to make movies. I want to be in movies. I want to make movies and direct movies um and it, and i didn't think I, I didn't think i had what it took to be an actor and anyway i finally was in you know high school and i thought i better there was no film programs there was no like movie programs and i thought i should get into theater theater's the closest thing i should take a theater class i had taken a theater class in like middle school but i was too intimidated to like get on stage or anything like that so I finally took, um, I, I got into the theater and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll see about doing some plays. Maybe I, maybe I could be an assistant director and, and get into theater that way. And we were doing um, Fiddler on the Roof at Vines High School. And I was, and I, and, and I asked if I could become the assistant director. And my teacher said, yeah, yeah, you can be the assistant director, but you also have to be in the play because it's Fiddler on the Roof and we don't have enough boys. And so... I was forced to be on stage and I loved it. I loved being on stage and I loved doing the thing. And then, and then the next year we did, I was in more plays in high school and we did the curious savage, which is this really funny play that a lot of high schools do. And I was playing this sort of mean um, grown son, adult son who has um, 
put his mother away in uh, a, a, an insane asylum. Huh? Um, even though she's not insane, he just does it to like, anyway, he's sort of <laughs> a villain. And I was doing a scene in a performance of The Curious Savage at Vines High School. And I got a huge laugh. I did something that like was really funny and it got this huge laugh. And I was like, whoa, that was cool. I really like that. And I started, so I started to lean into this, like these these ideas that I would try that were that were making people laugh. I was trying like, oh, that makes people laugh. I'm gonna try that again. I'm gonna try that again. And, and um and that was kind of like okay well i guess i won't be turning back from this um cuz making people laugh on stage is just so exciting and i loved it so much so uh, um i wasn't about to i wasn't about to let let that go and it and, and then and then i i i thought you know maybe i'll 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 i i also loved theater like i was st- starting to think maybe making movies isn't quite right. Maybe I should make theater because I love theater so much. And so I, I had this idea that I would be um, a, a high school drama teacher because I was I idolized my high school drama teacher. Oh. And I knew that there were other drama teachers that were teachers and also actors. They like acted in, in, in da- I'm from Dallas. So they acted in, in the area. And and I thought that's what I'll do. And then um and then a couple of years at the end of high school, my senior year of high school, it was another, I got another big laugh. It was doing a, um, something, it was doing a, a, a competition where we were um, interpreting poetry. And I was interpreting this poem that I was quite certain was not funny, <laughs> but people kept laughing at it. Be- not because, not because, not laughing at me, but be laughing because they thought that it was supposed to be funny. They thought that I was intending to be funny. And I thought, well, this is really, as it was going on, I was like, this is really interesting. They think this is funny and I am not intending it to be funny, but what if I did? What if I tried to get a laugh? And so then I started to twist every little thing um, into a joke. Um, And I just kept getting laugh after laugh after laugh. And I won the competition. And that was really, that was really the moment where I thought, okay, I'm gonna be an, I wanna be an actor. Not just, I love performing, not just this is cool and I and I like the theater, but that was when I was like, I've got to try to be in theater and be an actor and be on stage. Oh, that's great. And were your parents and were people around you supportive of that or? Yeah, they were. Uh, they weren't sure what to do with me. You know, like the, like my, my I'm the only person in my family who's from show business. I had an uncle um, that was a poet. He's now dead. Actually, it was his poem that I was reading oh. that I thought was so serious and that people laughed at. It pro- it was serious. He he, and I don't think I ever. He has passed away, but I don't think I ever told him uh, about that. But but I didn't know anybody in show business. You know, I I didn't I I had I didn't know what show business. But that's why I think that's part of the reason why I, I was aiming um, for for high school drama teachers because they were the only professionals I knew. My right. drama teachers were the the only professionals that I knew, and so um, it, the idea that I would go, you know, to New York or Los Angeles to be an actor was crazy. I had no, you know, it just didn't. I, it wasn't in my. It just wasn't in my sights at all because because it was like it was this other world. It was like this. I mean, I remember once becoming obsessed with Los Angeles because I love movies so much. And I got a book at the library about Los Angeles. And I was like looking through the book at like the sites of Los Angeles. And my parents loved movies and they had a movie book 
you know, but, but no, it was, I, I, so yeah, they were very supportive, but we had no idea. And so when I started doing theater, they liked coming to the plays. They liked taking me to theater. You know, I would ask them, can we please go see a play? Can we see, please go see, you know, the musical that's touring through Dallas or whatever. And they liked it, but I don't think that they ever really thought that I, that, that, that it was possible for me, not because they didn't think I was good. I think that they just thought it was an impossible industry and it is a very challenging industry. Um, but when I decided to, 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 to switch gears and not be a drama teacher and be an actor, I, I, I stay, I decided to stay home and go to a community college, um, nearby, which they were happy about. They were happy that I was staying home. They had, they were happy at how cheap it was. Um, but it was at this community college that somebody suggested I audition for Juilliard. And, um, and I remember when I auditioned, my parents were like, we're not sure about this. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not going to get in. This is just, a, you know, it's just like, who knows? Like, it's just, I'm just doing it to do it. I, 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 I don't think there's a real chance of me getting in. And my mom said, I think you might. And that was the first time I was like, oh, wow, she, she really believes in me. And, and she's concerned not about this profession, but about how are we going to afford the school? Because it's a very expensive school. But the cool thing, the really cool thing about Juilliard is they base financial aid on need. So we did pay as much as we could, but I was in a lot of debt. I had I took on a, a lot of debt to, to go there. Um, so it's never like, you never really, and they're really good about not turning people away because like they find they find a way or they encourage you to find a way and you figure it out and um unless you don't want to leave school with debt you can you can you know pretty pretty much figure it out and make it work right and so coming out of college and even during college what was the process like of sort of finding your niche in terms of the kind of roles you'd be going up for and your specific talents and all that um well, when I when I was in school at Juilliard, they do a really great job of encouraging you to do the thing that you're good at, but also demanding that you break out of the habits. So, you know, we all got it. We all get into Juilliard because we have this like um, sort of excited, like this this something exciting about us, like this natural talent or something. But they don't want you to do that all the time and they don't want you to like rest on your laurels right and so they give you parts to take you out of that they and encourage you to choose scenes that take you out of that so like you know work work like i worked on coriolanus who was this like you know this very macho war um general you know uh war war, war general in shakespeare and um, and worked on, I worked on a thug at one point and, um, this, this sort of thuggish character in, in Hurley Burley. Um, so they encourage you to like, like get, break out of your shell and do things that you wouldn't necessarily get to do. And then you also, um, you know, at the end of the school, hopefully when you're, when you're sort of being introduced to the industry, you get a couple of parts that are, uh, really, really like in your wheelhouse, so to speak. So like you spend a lot of time stressing yourself and, and finding like how, how far can I go in other directions? And then, um, and then when you 
or introduced to the industry, to agents, managers, casting directors, then you really want to put your best foot forward. What am I going to get cast in? What am I, what, you know, what, what job will I, will I actually get? Like, you know, I would, I would love to play Coriolanus, but it's not like exactly in my wheelhouse. I'm not exactly like right for that. Um, so better to like stick to things that, that I could get cast as uh, sort of, sort of follow, follow, follow the, the yeses. Um, and um yeah and so and so but really they tell you what you are so you like you you know you sort of they meaning the industry you sort of i remember i i went out I, I, in one of my first meetings with a casting director out of school this guy said uh, this guy asked you know and they, a lot of people agents managers and casting directors would say things like well what do you want to be doing what kind of work do you want to do and something that i would say was well i don't want to be typecast I don't want to get typecast as a, as one thing, and he said, "Well, you can't get cast until you're typecast," and that was like it, it sort of smarted to hear that, but it was really good advice because it's totally true that like how else are they going to get to know you but by putting you in a category? Mm -hmm. um, there's so many of us. There's so many actors, and we're all. We're lucky to get in, in on any list, um, but you have you have to sort of get plugged into a list before you can you know be considered for anything. And so that that, that actually it was it was a, a a bit of a rude awakening, but it was also really good advice um, to not worry about being typecast, not, not spend time harping about being typecast, um, and 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 embracing the thing that gets you jobs. I mean that's like. Ultimately, if it gets you jobs, it's not a bad thing. And did auditioning sort of come easily to you early on once you were able to get in those rooms? And was there material that you used a lot? Or, um, I there there are very few instances in the professional world where I had where where I uh, have been asked to provide my own material. It's almost all, I mean, occasionally like you sing a song for a musical or very rarely do you put, uh, you know, do you bring in a monologue? I remember auditioning for Shakespeare in the Park with a monologue of my own choice and bringing in a song for a musical once or twice. I don't really, I'm not really a big singer, so I don't audition for very many musicals. I've gotten to be in some because um, <clears throat> because I, I can kind of carry a tune and I'm, and and you know, like, there's some musicals where you don't have to be that good of a singer, but, um, but I didn't, I know I didn't really have like, uh, there wasn't, it was more you get the material that, and, and you use the audition sides and you do what they ask. Right. And so um, early on, I know you had this big TV film success with Ugly Betty and then everything that came after that, but was theater still always sort of on your mind then? Or did you think that you would just sort of be all the way in Hollywood? Well, I wanted, when I got out of school, all I wanted to do was theater and Shakespeare. And uh, I, I would have been really happy to like, just go from Shakespeare play to Shakespeare play all over the country. Um, and I really wanted to work in New York because I love New York and I and I loved being in New York and I wanted to do theater in New York. And I really, I, I didn't, but that I didn't get a lot of that. I mean, I got some auditions in New York, not major ones. And I got some um, 
I got some auditions for regional theater, more more auditions for regional theaters to do Shakespeare. Um, and I, you know, like when I was in school, I was pretty good at Shakespeare. And I, I even won this like award at Juilliard <clears throat> for Shakespeare. And I thought, oh, great. Well, this is what I'll do. I'll be a Shakespeare guy. Um, but it wasn't until I'd been out of school for two years, I think two years that I that I got a Shakespeare play or maybe three years that I that I that I finally got a Shakespeare play in in DC and it was awesome and I was so happy to do it and I loved it and I've done it as much as I can um but but no it was my agents and managers the agents that I got out of Juilliard who were like TV TV you should be in TV and I was like well okay I'll, I, I would I would like TV too that I just didn't think again I didn't think it was possible I sort of, this is sort of, I guess, a running theme is like, I didn't think it was possible until it happened. Um, and even when they said, you should be in TV, you should be in TV, we see it. I was like, well, if you see it, I'll try it, but I don't, I, I don't really see it. And then it would happen. And, um, and I was like, oh, I guess I can be on TV. I guess, I guess they will have me um, on a TV comedy. Right. Uh, but, but, <clears throat> But I, I really wanted to be in theater. I mean, I, what I what I came out of school wanting, what I went into school wanting was to do theater. Um, and I was in love with Shakespeare and um, all kinds of theater. And I and I and I, I just like my, I remember my dream being going from play to play to play, just wow. doing play after play after play. And um, I have had great years where I've done lots of plays and I and I've been very very happy. But then I've also had great years with where it was predominantly tv and um and that's also cool and very different and <laughs> and they do help one another you know like tv very much helps theater and you know when i before i was on tv i was i was auditioning for things but i wasn't getting into that many of the audition rooms that i really really wanted but after I was on TV, they saw me, you know, like there was a credibility or notoriety that kind of like got you into rooms you weren't getting into before. So that did really, really help. <clears throat> and then being in hit shows on stage helps TV. I mean, you know, like uh, there are people, there are people in TV, TV and film who really have no idea what theater is. But there's a lot of people who do follow theater. And even if they don't see it, they read the New York Times. They know, you know, like if you get a good review in the New York Times, it might get read by, by major players in Hollywood. And that has helped me before, too. So they do help one another. Right. And I'd be curious to know, too, did you find that being out was a different experience in Hollywood versus Broadway? And um, Well, by the time I was out, because I wasn't like I didn't talk about it for the first couple of years i was a, i was an actor i was an actor back then we were rare we were generally discouraged from talking about our sexuality i didn't know anybody um who talked about it openly you know amongst industry professionals right. people knew your business and people guessed your business but um it wasn't really a thing but by the time i like officially came out which was about halfway through ugly betty um nobody was surprised and it ultimately was it was a really was really beneficial to me because I had been told when I was on Ugly Betty because it was such a big hit and I was such a, a major part of the show um 
and I was playing such a unique character, I was told a lot, okay, this is great. This is so great for you. You've got to, you know, you know, take this all the way, but then this is it. You can't play any more gay characters because then you'll be typecast. You'll be pigeonholed. Right. Um, and, and I was like, oh, okay. So I sort of stayed in the closet. I mean, not really. I mean, people who knew me knew, but I wasn't like, you know, talking about it in interviews. Um, I would just say, I don't discuss my sexuality when it, when it came up and it came up. Oh, it came up. <laughs> but, uh, one time a guy on a red carpet, I was on a red carpet and was being interviewed by this guy. And he said, so are you out? He didn't say, are you gay? <laughs> or how do you identify? He said, are you out? And I was like, whoa, that's a total trick question, dude. Right. What a, and then and then I didn't answer and I, I was sort of flummoxed. And I said, oh, well, I be, you know, I just, I don't talk about my sexuality. <laughs> and, and I I don't remember who it was or where it was printed, but he printed the entire interaction, including the fact that I was flummoxed. He like printed, Michael Urie then looked flummoxed and said, ooh, uh, or um, I don't talk about my sex. Like he wrote it all out. So it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It like didn't really right. matter what I said. It was on the record. But there was a moment where I, I was like, this this idea that you're gonna get typecast for playing one gay role or for playing more than one gay role is crazy because um there's not one kind of gay person. <laughs> there's <laughs> lots of kinds of gay people. And I and I and I sort of put that together myself when I was doing The Temperamentals, which was really my big break in theater. Um, this play by John Marins that we did uh, a, a couple of different times. Um, I was doing that play and I was playing a gay guy um, who was also in fashion. So like Mark St. James on Ugly Betty was in fashion and he was one kind of gay person. And here I was playing Rudy Gernreich, who was based on a real person, who is a real person. And also in fashion, in a stage drama. So I was like, well, these are completely different characters that both happen to be gay and both happen to be um, in fashion. And that's where the similarities end. And so if I'm able to get this close to playing two characters that are similar, and yet they're so, so different, then I don't think there is a problem getting, I don't think that there is a a, 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 a way to be pigeonholed just because you're playing gay characters. You can play different, and that's when I was like, well, this is stupid, I'm coming out. And, and I did, I came out with a whimper, I like to say, nobody was surprised. It was not a big deal, but but it was a relief, you know? It was, it was a real, it was a real relief. And being an out actor who's more than willing to play out characters has given me so much work. I mean, I've had so much work because of that, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, that if I turned, I wouldn't work very much at all if I if I said I'll only play straight roles. Right. And another character in a great gay play that you did early on was of course, Angels in America. And how did that come about with Michael Greif? And... Actually, the temperamentals kind of led to Angels in America. Um, <laughs> While I was doing the temperamentals, they were 
starting to cast Angels in America. And I heard about it and I had always wanted to, to be in that play. I actually, I found that that play, um, when I first read it, my the first character I was attracted to was Roy Cohn. Oh. <laughs> crazy because sort of like the last one I would play. <clears throat> I mean, it will be, it would be. Um, and I, I worked on scenes as Roy Cohn. And then as I got a little bit older, this was like high school, like when I was very young. And then I got a little bit older in high school and I was like, oh, maybe I should play Joe Pitt. Because at that time I was most like Joe Pitt. And then I got into school, drama school. I was at Juilliard and I was like, no, I'm definitely a Lewis. That's who I am now. And so in, in college, I worked on scenes as Lewis. And then when Angels in America was being revived at the signature, when I asked to get an audition, they wanted to see me as Pryor. And I was like, Pryor? I'm not Pryor. I'm I'm Joe Lewis or Roy. <laughs> um, and they were like, no, you're Pryor. <laughs> and I started working on Pryor and, and I was, I was like, oh, this is great. I love Pryor. I love being this sort of superhuman, heroic, um, hilarious and sweet, wonderful moving character. And I, um, and so I, I worked on it and I auditioned for it and I didn't get it. I didn't uh -huh. get it. I, I thought I was like, I think I could get this. Temperamentals was a big hit. <clears throat> Had a great work session with Michael and Tony Kushner, uh, but I did not get it. And uh, um, I was like sad. I was bummed, but it was all right. I went off and did some other things. And then um, about a year later, maybe not quite a year later, the show was a the show was a big hit. It was running for it had run for a long time off Broadway, and Christian Borle, who got the part, um, was going to be leaving, and they asked me if I would replace him, oh. and I so I, I replaced him with uh, a couple of other actors who were also replacing people. Adam Driver was going in for Zach Quinto. Um, Kira Keeley went in for. Um, uh, Zoe Kazan and um, a couple of others went and we all went at the same time. So we had a nice proper rehearsal process together with Michael Greif. And um, I got to, to rehearse all of my scenes with Adam Driver, all the, the prior Lewis scenes we rehearsed together, which was awesome. And then we got to do it for a little while. I feel like we did it for like three months. It ran for another like three months once we went in there, both parts. And it was incredible. And the thing I always remember about doing Angels Mary, because I was also, you know, Pryor has AIDS and is very, very sick. And there's a scene where you see his, he's in the doctor's office and you see his body and you're supposed to see how ravaged his body has become from this. And so I wanted to be very thin. I wanted to be, I always heard that like when Steven Spinella did the play, he was very, very thin. I wanted to be thin, but healthy. I wanted to be a very healthy um, and so I went to, you know, I, I like saw a nutritionist and, and, and I was, I was still eating, but it was like, I was eating, but I was eating like low, like, so, and so I was like, gosh, I hope I have enough energy to do this. And so I was eating a lot, expending a lot of energy. And what I, what I remember so vividly is at the end of, you know, we would do these marathon days where we do part one and part two in the same day, which was so cool. So thrilling. And then we did eight performances a week. And at the end of the week, everyone was so tired, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> and I don't know 
if that was because I was just in really, I was just being really, really healthy. Um, or if it was because I was, I was like being sort of possessed by this incredible character. And because it was so uplift, it was so uplifting. He was so, he was so larger than life and so heroic that I felt fueled by prior. And I think other people who were playing characters that, you know, like that were being broken down and, you know, <clears throat> the Roy Cones and the Joe Pitts who were like, and the, and, and the Harper, you know, these characters that were like going through such, he was like fighting and, and surviving. And I think that they were all so tired at the end of the week. And I was like, I'm ready to go. Let's do it again. <laughs> that is funny. And I would love to know more too about your collaboration with Tony Kushner, since I know you worked with him then and then later on a bright room called day. Oh, wow. I mean, it was, I was so starstruck to meet him um, in my audition for angels in America. And get to know him and I got to work with him a little bit on that and a lot more on a bright room called day um like 10 years later um he's such a smart man uh and he's the way he thinks the way his brain works and the way that he speaks I mean I'm sure you've listened to him in interviews and um or on pod in podcasts and things and he's just so incredibly smart and it's so easy to follow. And I heard a quote about him once that uh, he said, you shouldn't um, write to the dumbest person in your audience. You should write to the smartest person in your audience and everyone else will, will, will join them. And I think that's so true. I mean, you know, even with A Bright Room Called Day or Angels in America, these plays that I know so, so, so well, sometimes things went over my head and I was like, well, I'm not sure what that was. And it happens. It happens in Shakespeare too. You know, like these 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 great writers who write so dense and write so much in you know they write so much in a short amount of time. And you're like, what is all of this material? Sometimes things go over your head. Sometimes you miss things. Sometimes it takes a second reading or a second viewing. Um, but I do think he's. I do think working on his plays, he is wildly smarter than I am. But I. Do <laughs> working on his plays um I got smarter <laughs> ah. I was able to like you know I think you, you you do sort of he can he can help a great writer will elevate you know every audience right to the same level and he's a great example of that and uh, also in Bright Room Called Day uh Oscar Eustick Oscar Eustace directed that play at the public and he had an injury and he, we, we lost him for a few days and Tony took over and he was a great director. So that was really cool too. I got to work with him sort of as a director, get notes from him as, as, a, as a director. And uh, uh, that was, that was really exciting. Oh yeah. And do you like to suggest changes in the rehearsal room or, and has that changed over time, your sort of philosophy on that? Um, if I feel like <clears throat> on a new play, neither of those plays were new, um, <laughs> but, but on a new play, um, if I feel like I can really help, um, then I will. But generally, <clears throat> I think it's best as an actor, um, to do everything you can to make what you have work. And if you feel like it, it's not like I have, I sort of have this theory that 
this is in theater. We're talking about theater, not so not so much TV and film. But I do feel I do have this sort of theory that like if an actor is is really trying and really putting in the work, and they still can't remember a line, like they can't memorize the line, there's something wrong with the line. <laughs> and so I think that's true. I I I really believe that like. If it's really, really well written, it's sort of like when you read a book, like when you read a book or a, or a play. Also, like the easier it is to read, like to just read, the easier it'll be to hear and the easier it'll be to memorize. If you're like, what did that say? I gotta read that again. You know, okay, what is it? What, what do they mean? What, what? What? What did I just read? That there's usually like, okay, well maybe there's something that's not quite getting through to us. Um. So, you know, like if asked, if I have a thought, absolutely. Um, and if I think I can really help, I might say, you know, I might have an, you know, I might have an idea here. Um, I might have a thought about this. I usually like preface it. I'm, I, I like to be a little bit um, uh, self-deprecating about it. I'll say I have a really bad idea, <laughs> <laughs> and and they they're always like, yes, please. <laughs> what's, what's your bad idea? Because that'll make it easier for if they have to reject it. It'll be easier for all of us. I told you it was bad, you know, <laughs> um, but, but when it's a new play, you know, and especially if it's a comedy, um, I think that there's a little bit, it's a little bit easier to say, I think I can help here. I think I know what would help here. I think I know what this should be here. Um, and in TV, certainly it's the same way. Uh, but, but generally I do everything I can to try and make what they've written work and try to figure out what it is that they heard. How do I help them here? what they were writing and and until I can't or until you know until until we've hit a wall um try to adhere to that try to try to try to uh, honor it right and so your uh, Broadway debut of course was in How to Succeed and I'd also be curious to know had you had other sort of Broadway offers before that because of your TV success and all that or good question uh I don't think I had. I don't think I'd been offered a Broadway show before How to Succeed. Um, I'm pretty sure that was my first time. I hadn't, you know, really been available to do Broadway um, before. So I don't know if it would have come. Oh, you know what? Was Avenue Q on Broadway at that point? I did get... Becky Newton and I were offered Avenue Q together. Becky Newton, who was on Ugly Betty with me, she and I were offered Avenue Q together. And I think it was on Broadway, but it might have been off. I think it was on Broadway at the time. And we didn't do it, but not because, I mean, I would have done it. I, I wanted to do it, but we were only offered um, Princeton and Lucy. We weren't off. You know how the two main actors play both parts? They play two parts. We weren't offered both parts. And so I was like, eh, well, I don't know if I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to split them up anyway, because I think it's so great the way that works. And so we didn't do it. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why we didn't do it. But but uh, but yeah, how to succeed was the first one. And I went after it. I heard that it was happening and I said, I want to be in this. And I sort of weaseled my way into the workshop. Um, and then um, I did the, the sort of the, the workshop with Daniel Radcliffe 
as Bud from, I played Bud from, and um, it was great. And after that, they said, you're the guy, we're going to do it with you. And <clears throat> I was like, great. And I, and, and then it's a, it's a, it's way too long a story for this podcast, but basically I didn't end up getting it. I, I had it and I lost it. And it's, it's, it's sort of the saddest thing that ever happened to me in show business. Cause I was so excited about it. I was so looking forward to it, but, but basically I was asked to do it. Um, and then people who had opted to not weigh in on the decision decided instead they were going to weigh in on the decision and that they were going to decide against me. And so I didn't get to do the original, it wasn't, and so I, I didn't get to be in the original company. But after the show was a hit and after it had been running, um, Christopher Hankey was leaving and he's the one who ended up getting the part. Um, and they said, you want to come in and replace Christopher Hankey? And so I got to do it. And wow. it was an amazing experience. And it was, what was cool about it, you know, like, yeah, it would have been great to be in the original company. Yeah, it would have been great to perform at the Tonys and be on the album and all that stuff. But, but I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I still got to, be, and I got a whole year of things, you know, because I, during that year I was doing Angels in America and I was doing other things too. So it's like, I still had a great year when they were doing How to Succeed. And then I still got to go in and do it for like five months. Right. Nick Jonas, who I loved and who was so amazing. And we had crazy good audiences. And I made my Broadway debut and it was, it was, it ended up being perfect. And it might've been a lot different. You know, it might've been harder. Um, so it all worked out. Right. And what was the difference between doing that part opposite Nick Jonas and Daniel Radcliffe and sort of finding chemistry with both? And Well, with Daniel Radcliffe, it was only like a few days, you know, it was oh. a workshop. So we only worked together for a few days. Um, and, and it was so much about like making sure it all <clears throat> played. But with Nick, I really got to rehearse. We really got to like play and rehearse and get to know each other and he liked what I was doing and I liked what he was doing. And so we had, we had a lot of fun together. Um, but what was, you know, like Daniel, Daniel was so game. He was so like, he'd never done a musical. He, I don't know if he'd done theater yet or he hadn't done much theater yet. Um, and he hadn't really ever sung or danced. Mm -hmm. And so he was like working his butt off to, to like learn all the music, learn all the dancing, sing all the songs and lead this company. And he did such a good job. Um, Nick came in and the singing and the dancing was second nature. He was so, e it was so easy for him. It was like nothing. So it was, it was um, the, their takes on the role were very different because Daniel was like, was like always like, um, you know, like it, it was such a, it was such a, such an accomplishment for him. Um, to 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 do it to succeed, um, and we, and we were all rooting for him all the time, and and that's not just when we were doing the workshops. That was the whole thing. I mean, that 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 was that that whole year. We were all just like, "You got it, man! You did it." Well, way Nick, Nick had been singing and dancing his whole life, and he'd been on Broadway many times. So it was less about that. It was more about what a great actor he is. We had no idea. He's a terrific actor. He's really funny. That is great. And I know um, another reading you did of a show that didn't ultimately end up happening there was Company with Alan Cumming and Daniel Evans and all that. And what was the sort of take on the show at that point? I know you played one of the female characters, but. 
Yeah, that was a cool thing. Um, Roundabout did a workshop uh, of company um, where Bobby was gay. And so Daniel Evans played Bobby as a gay man. And so I played the flight attendant. And uh, I sang Barcelona and we sang You Could Drive a Person Crazy. And Andrew Rannells was the character who sings Another Hundred People Just Got Off of the uh, Train. And um, Bobby Steggert was the TikTok character um, who the old, the, the, the former flame. And then they didn't switch, you know, like later in the in in the the version where there was a female Bobby, they switched Amy to Jamie. Um, they didn't do that. That was still a woman. But they had a couple of um, gay couples. You know, I think the sm the pot smoking couple was a gay couple, and um, but it was real. Oh, and then of course Alan Cumming did "Here's to the Ladies Who Lunch," right. which was great. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, it was, you know, it played great. It was really, really, I mean, and, and just to spend a week in that score and that script, Paul Gemignani was the musical director working with Paul Gemignani and all these, you know, like Alan Cumming and Lin-Manuel was in it and Michael Arden was in it and Annalie Ashford and Kate Baldwin. It was just like a murderer's row of, <laughs> musical geniuses musical theater geniuses Stephen Sondheim came and it was like oh my god there he is he's here and we're doing company for him and when we finished the presentation he was crying uh -huh. and we were all like oh he's crying and then he said you should know I cry at card tricks <laughs> meaning I cry at everything <laughs> Any, anything will make me cry uh, and they didn't, and they didn't end up doing it. And I don't know. This was long before anyone had the idea to do it with a female Bobby. Um, but I really thought it was great. And I, I, I'm sorry we didn't get to do it because it was so special. And um, I think it could have been really, really interesting with a gay Bobby. Oh yeah, that does sound great. Does yeah, it was cool. And, and so, how did the play of Byron Seller first come into your life? And so I was doing um, a sitcom. I was out here in LA doing a sitcom called Partners that was short-lived, um, but really cool, really fun from the makers of Will and & Grace. And Jonathan Tolens was on the staff of the, the writing staff. And he had written um, some other plays. I met him. I think I'd done a reading of another play of his at that point, but uh, I didn't know him that well. And we got to know each other a lot doing this sitcom see each other all the time and um and and we really got along we were, we were two new yorkers who were in la working on this sitcom and we, we would hang out a lot and one day he was like you know i've written something that i think you'd be really good in but i wrote it for jesse tyler ferguson but maybe you'll do it someday and i was like oh okay sure and he sent me the script and i read it and i thought oh this is very very good and Jesse will be very, very good in it. And I'm very jealous. And <laughs> thank you for sharing, but please take it away now. And um, and then Partners got canceled. And John and I both ended up back in New York. And um, the Rattlestick Theater, 
who had produced John's earlier play, The Last Sunday in June, they reached out to John and said, we've just had something fall through. Do you have anything? And John said, actually, I have this, this play that I think is pretty good. It's only one actor. Um, maybe you'll do it. Maybe you do that. And, and, he, and then he reached out to me and he was like, listen, is this something you would be interested in doing? Because Jesse's still on Modern Family and he can't do it right now. And I said, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, see what see what everyone says. I don't want to steal something from Jesse, but I'm I'm available. My TV show just got canceled. And so John <clears throat> asked Jesse for his blessing, basically. And he said yes. And then the theater did it. And that's how I ended up getting that job. Wow. And then, and then it, you know, like it was a big hit at the rattlestick. And then we moved off broad to, to a proper off-Broadway run. And we ran and it ran there for over a year. I did it for nearly that, nearly that all that time. And then Christopher Henke came in and replaced me. <laughs> then Barrett Foa did it. And I went on tour. And I did it on tour. And then I did it in London. Um, and then we made a we did it again. Um uh and we filmed it for PBS. And then uh, during the pandemic, I did it from my living room. And I've done that play like more more than 600 times. Wow. Oh, yeah. I got to see it during the pandemic. You were wonderful. That was... Thank you. Thank you so much. I think that was one of the best pieces of, of Zoom theater that there was then. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Thank you. And I would be curious to what is it like to have to sort of create that special kind of connection with the audience that comes with doing a solo show? Hmm. Well, what's cool about that is that it really does keep it fresh. You know, like sometimes if you're in a play, especially if it's like, I mean, a comedy usually, a comedy usually um, is easier to keep, for, I find that a comedy is easier to keep fresh because the audience is different and you really have to like, you have to honor the consistency of comp of, of the of the timing um to keep them laughing um and if you don't do it right and they don't laugh then you, you're like oh that was my fault <clears throat> whereas the drama is is you know less adhering to laughter you know it's less about like um setting up and punching jokes um <clears throat> and so with a with a with a, and so with a one person play and so when you're doing a comedy or a drama really uh, or a drama you're relying on your scene partners but in a comedy, especially you're relying on scene partners um, to set you up, you know, like every Jerry Zachs, the great Jerry Zachs, he says that there's no, that he's like, it's not your laugh or your laugh. It's, it's everyone's laugh. So right. you know, if I'm the one who gets a laugh, if the laugh comes after my line, it only works if I'm set up right. And if everybody else on stage is doing what they need to be doing for me to get that laugh. So it's not really my laugh. It's our laugh. Um, but when you're alone, <laughs> when you're it's a one person play, you're setting yourself up. Um, it's kind of is your lap. And the co-star, the other actor, the other, the other character becomes the audience. And so what's great about them being different every night is that it keeps you on your toes. It keeps it fresh. What's tough is that sometimes they're not doing what you want them to do. Um, and so you have to kind of help them along quiet them down if they're doing too much, um, like lean into the things that they think will be funnier. 
go slower sometimes, go faster sometimes. Um, you sort of just have to like go out there, see who they are and see what they need from you and see how how best to give them the story. Right. And you mentioned uh, Jerry Zaks, and I know where you worked with him was on shows for days at, at Lincoln Center. And what was that experience like with Patti LuPone and... Well, Patty had played my mom on Ugly Betty, so I knew Patty already, and I adored her. Um, and this was a new play by Douglas Carter Bean, who was an amazing writer, and I was so excited to, to work with him and be at Lincoln Center, where I hadn't worked um, ever or since. Um, but I went to Juilliard there, so I was like back in my old stomping grounds. Um, it was really cool to work on a new play at the Mitzi Newhouse which is the 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 smaller theater. Well, it used to be the smaller theater. Now it's the middle theater um, at Lincoln Center uh, with these legends, like real, le you know, Jerry and Patty and Doug are like, you know, just serious legends. And Jerry had originated, he directed the, the original production of Six Degrees of Separation in that space. It's like, he knew that space really, really well. And, uh, it's an it's a fascinating space, beautiful space. And I had first seen the first time I'd ever gone into that space was when uh, they did the original production of a new brain. Uh -huh. um, and on my field studies class trip with my community college, we went and saw it and it was amazing. So like I had a very special um, very, very special that, that theater is very special to me and means a lot to me. Uh, and I was really happy to be there and working on a new play and getting rewrites and but Jerry, Jerry is a guru. He's like, he's sort of my guru. I think about the things I learned from him in that play all the time. Um, his, like I just quoted him, you know, like little little things that 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 registered with me, that stayed with me. Um, the kinds of things that he says um, that are so playable. He was an actor uh, before he, he was an actor before he was a director and um, he's done so much comedy, but he's also done so much drama that is funny. And um, I think that he's just incredible. He's an incredible um, theater director. And I, I learned a lot from him. And I learned a lot from Patty, too. I mean, one, time, one night, Patty saved my ass. I skipped, I skipped like a page by accident. And I didn't even realize it. And then she, she did. And she saved me. Um, she, she, she filled in the gaps of what I had, what I had skipped. That was also the play where, um, she snatched a cell phone out of an audience member's hand. Right. That was really exciting. <laughs> I was, I was on stage. I watched it happen at, at intermission. They were all complaining that this woman had been on her phone the whole first act. And I hadn't noticed her. The other actors had. Then at the top of the second act, sure enough, there she was on her phone and Patty had an exit right by her. Cause it's a thrust theater. And she went over and grabbed it. It was fantastic. And do you find that you can usually tell how well a play or a TV show will do? Mm, good question. Um, yes and no. Um, yes and no. I, you know, like a TV show or a movie, are that's harder because there's so many elements that come into play after um, my work is done. Right. You know, like <clears throat> the editing, the special effects or the color correction, the sound, the music, all that stuff can do a lot. So 
I've been in things where we're shooting it and I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure this is good. And then I see it and I'm like, oh, it turned out great. And a lot of that is the editing process. And I've been in things that we're shooting and I'm like, this is gonna be fantastic. And when it and it shows up, I, I see it, I'm like, oh wow, this is not what I had in mind. This is not doing what we what we thought we were doing. <laughs> it's not working. But I also think a lot of stuff, you know, <clears throat> there's a there's a timeliness to everything. And that can go your way or not. And and Sometimes I was doing a play um, at the Labyrinth Theater Company um, called Homos or Everyone in America. And it was a beautiful play by this guy named Jordan Seavey. And it was me and Robin DeJesus and um, Mike Donahue directed it. And we were, it was a really cool play. And I'd been doing readings of it for years. And it was about um, a hate crime. It was about a, a, a guy a queer a queer person who's attacked for being queer and beaten and really intense and <clears throat> when we did it i had been working on it for a long time and and it, things were just getting better you know and there was less of that kind of thing happening and and i was like i wonder how relevant this is going to be um to to our audiences you know this idea that like you're not safe when you're queer and you're wandering around New York City. It took place in New York City. And we opened the play and it was good. It was, it was going really well. People were really responding to it. And we opened the play and the the uh on a on a on a Monday. And then we were off on Tuesday. And Tuesday was um election night, 2016. Uh. And we we were all, you know, devastated that Trump won. And the next night we came back and did the play again. And then that week, there was an uptick in hate crimes. Suddenly, with Trump in power, these people, these horrible hate-filled hate people were emboldened to attack people. And the play was suddenly relevant, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, like, we were happy with the play not being relevant. <laughs> Now suddenly it was very relevant. So that was an interesting, and then and then another, uh, you know, this TV show I'm in now called Shrinking that's on Apple TV Plus, which I know you're going to get to because your research is so stellar. Charles. Um, uh, I think it's come out at just the right time too, um, because and I didn't know if it would or not. You know, when we made it, I was like, I think this is good. I'm really enjoying it. I know the writing is good. I love all these actors. I think it's going to work. <clears throat> and it's worked really, really well. I think in part because we are, it's about grief. It's a show about grief and about um, taking care of one's mental health. And I think post-pandemic, we're all grieving. We've all grieved. And we're all taking better care of ourselves mentally. We're all treating our mental health the same way that we treat our physical health. And maybe not all of us, but the stigma has been lifted. You know, the stigma of, of mental health care has sort of been lifted or is lifting. And I think our show Shrinking has come on at, uh, along at exactly the right time. And maybe we'll even help people to um, to continue to, to, to let that stigma go away. Oh, yeah, that is great. And so I know we have sort of limited time, but I'd love to ask about a Torch Song next and how that came about first. Yeah, so um, 
Torch Song was another play like Angels in America that I had known for a long time. And, and I never imagined myself as Arnold. I'd imagine myself as Ed or Alan, or, you know, first I imagined myself as David, the kid. <clears throat> and I was like, I'll never be Arnold. I'm not, I'm no, I'm nothing like Harvey Firestein. I'll never be Arnold. And um, Richie Jackson, who produced it, um, who produced the, the, the revival that I was in, I got to know him a little bit through um, his husband, uh, Jordan Roth. And one day at a, at a dinner or at a party or something, Richie was like, what about Torch Song? What do you think about Torch Song? And I was like, what about it? It's great. I love it. And he's like, you should play Arnold. And I was like, what are you, crazy? And I, and I was like, he's wrong. He's crazy. That'll never work. And I didn't think much of it. And then he brought it up again later. I think a couple of years later, he brought it up again. And I was like, I think you're wrong still. But, you know, if you want to read it, we can read it, I guess. I don't know. And then right after that, I went to see my friend and classmate from Juilliard, Jessica Chastain, in The Heiress on Broadway that was directed by Moises Kaufman. And I met Moises for the first time. And we exchanged emails and he said, we should do something together. What do you think about Torch Song? <laughs> and I was like, this is so weird that you're asking this because, because Richie Jackson, who I believe has the rights, also asked it. So I put them in touch with each other and they put together a reading. We did a reading in um, uh, an agent's conference room or something for Harvey. And it was, that was basically my audition. Wow. And I'm so grateful for that, that being my audition and not just like reading sides because I'm not great at auditioning. And when you read a whole play, you get to fail and succeed as it goes. And so we did this reading of the whole play. And at the end of it, we were like, it seemed like it went pretty well. And then Harvey emailed me and said, you got it, kid. You got what it takes. Let's do it. Let's find. And he was like, let me, let me find you. Let me find you a, a couple of boyfriends and a mom and, and let's make this happen. Wow. And what was the process of like of going back through it with them? I know there were some changes made for. For, 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 for our production. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Harvey cut, he cut like, you know, like an hour from the play because right. it was so long. Um, and he condensed it. He sort of condensed it into um, a, a tight three hours. <laughs> but he was really great with me. He really left me alone. And and he also, he, he said something that I thought was so wise. It had been 30 years, 30, almost 40 years. Um, 35, I think 35 years or something since he had done it, since he had written it and, and, and it had been produced as a trilogy. And he said, I'm not the same person I was then. So I would never presume to rewrite this. He would cut stuff. He would um, edit and, and, and tighten stuff, but he would never rewrite stuff. And sometimes he would be like, because he, he performed the role. And so he ad-libbed stuff when he was doing it. And I remember there was one point where I was like, I feel like I need something at the beginning. Like, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to, like the lights come up and how do I start? And he said, I was starting, I'm like putting on, you know, eye makeup. And I was like, what do I, you know, how do I start speaking? <laughs> and he was like, you know, I always used to say, 
he and he were he hadn't thought about it in years, but he was like, I used to say, just let me finish emasculating this eye and I'll be right with you. It's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I was like, that was the first line. Can I say that, please? And he was like, sure, go ahead. You can say that. So, so like there were things like that that would come up from time to time where he would remember an alternate, you know, like something that wasn't in the script that wasn't ever written down. He would remember it and, and he would give it to me. So that was pretty cool. And when you're doing a show that is a revival, like Torchon, like How to Succeed, Government Inspector, things like that, do you like to look back at previous interpretations of it or do you try to sort of stay away from that? I stay away from that because, because I don't, you know, like, it's so easy to like take on somebody else's rhythms. If, I, if I'm in a pinch, I might check, you know, like, if I'm in a pinch, I might say, well, how do they say that? You know, like, I wonder how they said this or how they how they sang this, you know. Um, <clears throat> like with Hamlet, when I did Hamlet, it was like, oh, well, it's hard not to, you know, there's so many Hamlets. I would be like, well, I wonder how they played this or what, you know, when Giel, when John Gielgud did it, what did he, how did he play the to be or not to be speech? And um but generally, no, I, I generally, I don't, I don't, what's cool about replacing the, this is a little bit different, but replacing somebody can be really exciting because there's a roadmap and you can sort of watch and be like, oh my God, I love what they're doing there. I could do it like this. Or there's a moment there <coughs> that I could, that I could, I could, I could play this instead of that. Or, you know, um, that's really, that's really interesting and fun. And, um, but in a revival, um, you know, you kind of want to, you kind of want it to be your own and, you know, you don't want to, you don't want and, and especially with, when you're playing like, like Harvey's role in Torch Song, there's inevitable comparisons. And so the less I try to be like him, the better. Right. And so I also know you've worked out throughout your career with several veteran actors like Mercedes Rule on that show and like uh, Jane Alexander, who I actually interviewed and she said you were like the most brilliant actor who <laughs> she'd ever worked with on Grand Horizons. Oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> and what has it been like to work with people of that sort of stature and learn from them? And it's incredible. I mean, working with Jane, watching Jane... Um, very, very subtly take an audience hostage. I mean, <laughs> she, the way that Jane slid, Jane and Jane and Mercedes, they both played my mom and they were so different. Mercedes came in like a bull in a china shop and it was, a, it, it, she walked in and everyone immediately was like, oh, this is it. She's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I want, I'm only going to watch her. I'm going to laugh at everything she said. I love her so much. I love her. La, 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 la. And Jane was like a, like more like a surgeon. She sort of came in quietly and you're like, what's that woman up to? What's she up to? And then we had this big scene together um, <clears throat> towards the end of the first act. And it was this amazing scene where she confessed to, I played her son and she confessed something to me. And it was so, so surprising and so funny what she confessed. And watching this woman, this sort of mild-mannered character, she played this mild-mannered character, watching her sort of like build this character up to this incredible scene. So exciting. And so, and so I got to be on stage with her during this scene. And it was a great scene for me too. I had like, you know, like some really fun comic moments, but she was like, it, it, it was, 
I, I can't imagine anyone else doing it, actually. I can't imagine anyone else doing what she did. And um, I loved watching her work. And every night we would get backstage, <clears throat> she'd be like, wasn't that fun? She loved it so. She we would invite each other backstage, and she and, and she would say, "Wasn't that wasn't that fun? That was so fun. Wasn't that great tonight? Oh, I love it." So I loved her so much. I loved working with her, and I learned so much from her and from Mercedes. And then also, like you know, I just worked with Harrison Ford on Shrinking. Like these people, like it's like crazy to like <laughs> find yourself in space with them. And then other people who are like not household names that I've worked with, like that are just brilliant, like Jonathan Hadari. I did Angels in America and Bright Room Called Day with Jonathan Hadari. Just a genius actor, so amazing to work with. Or Michael McGraw, who I did Government Inspector with. And um, Michael McGraw had this incredible way of like, he could get a laugh anywhere he wanted, but he was so judicious about it. He was like, no, I don't want that one. I don't want that one. I want this one. And he would, <laughs> he would like let three laughs go and then grab the big one. I love that. Wow, yeah. And what was the process like of working on Grand Horizons almost right up until the pandemic? If yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, a, it was a really cool new play. Lee Silverman, who directed it, is so good. She's another guru of mine who I think about all the time. Um, and Bess Wall wrote a really wonderful play. Uh, and we that was the new play on Broadway, world premiere. <clears throat> and we spent a lot of, or I guess it wasn't the world premiere. It had been done at, at Williamstown. But we spent a lot of time working on it in previews. They spent a lot of time rewriting. And uh, so it was a lot of work. And then audiences loved it. And then the pandemic was looming. And it was this weird thing where, you know, audiences cough. They just cough. And suddenly in the last like week of that run, they stopped coughing. Uh -huh. And you sort of realize, yeah, that's right. You don't have to cough. All those times the audiences cough, you can stifle that. You don't actually, <laughs> sometimes you have a coughing fit and you have to cough, but like um, you don't have to cough. And and that was the proof. I was like, I knew it. <laughs> nobody wanted to cough because nobody wanted anyone to think they had COVID. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, another role that I was lucky enough to see you in was in High Button Shoes at Encores. And yeah. <laughs> what was that like to be in sort of a very quick rehearsal process, but in that huge role? And... That was crazy. And that was also crazy because so much of the material that I had was written by it, the original star, Phil Silvers. <clears throat> and it was a lot of very topical humor, not topical, it's uh, modern humor from 1940. <laughs> And so we would like spend time being like, what is this joke? What is this even like? How is this even funny? I don't understand how it's funny. And the cool thing about encore is it's like you're trying to you're trying to like honor the old material, but there's also some liberty to like make it work for a modern audience. And so um, Jack Vertel, who sort of adapted the script, and I worked together with John Rando, the director. To sort of be like, all right, well, this is what would have been funny in 1940. How do we do something that's funny now in 2019, but still feels like it's from 1940? And so that's that was the that was the really cool thing about that, finding that, um, and then doing that chase. Remember that crazy chase scene? The the yes, that, yes, with the blanket ballet. Oh, that was just so cool. It's so exciting, and that was the original Jerome Robbins choreography. Um, and we got to, and uh, when we were rehearsing that, they were like, <clears throat> they're like, now remember when they did this number originally, there were many broken noses. <laughs> like, what? 
<laughs> many broken noses well how are we supposed how are we supposed to do this? We have three weeks. It was crazy, but really fun. Really, really cool. I, I I loved that. It was such a thrill to do that, to be the star of a musical. Crazy. And is there another sort of ill-fated show like that that you would want to do at Encores? Or? Big. Oh. The musical Big? Yeah, yeah. Mopping Shire. That would be great. Yeah, <laughs> and then, Goodbye, girl. I love that one too. Those are two musicals that I'd love to be in. Oh, yeah. And then another I know of just very brief Broadway credit that you did was Celebrity Autobiography, I think before Grand Horizons. And what was it like to be part of that and which autobiography were you reading? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who I read. I've done that show so many times. We did it uh, at the Triad Theater uh, on 72nd Street. And I did it in um, London with them. And I've done it in Austin and the Hamptons and we did it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for a month. Um, I love doing that show. I've read David Hasselhoff, uh, Miley Cyrus, Dolly Parton, Celine Dion. I've, I've, I've read Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I've read tons and tons of people. I don't remember who I did on Broadway, um, but it was really cool to do it on Broadway and to 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 uh, play a giant theater like that. We played at the Mar Marriott Marquis Theater and um, I had seen I had second acted Annie Get Your Gun with Bernadette Peters there wow. uh, 20 years earlier, many, 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 many times. And um, uh, it was cool to be on that stage. Big, big stage, big audience. Yeah. And then, so what we talked a little bit about Grand Horizons as the sort of predecessor to the pandemic there a little bit. And then what was that experience like for you being shut down? I know you did quite a lot of virtual theater. And well, we we didn't. The Grand Horizons didn't get shut down. Uh, we actually closed on time, <clears throat> um, so we were we were lucky. Um, but yeah, it was devastating. Pandemic was horrible. It was so sad. It was it was it was very very scary times, and um, I, you know, I wasn't sure what would be what what coming back would even be like. Um, so uh, I did a lot of virtual theater. I got some TV work during that time, some film work during that time. I was very lucky. Uh, and then I got to be part of the first, one of the first shows back, Chicken and Biscuits, right. which is really thrilling. Um, unfortunately, we were, we were sidelined by, by COVID um, and we closed early because of COVID, but um, it was so cool to be part of that you know, first burst back and be, be back in a Broadway theater um, after um, those that horrible two year shutdown, and to be doing such a communal play like that that was really an, in an, in the round and where we really included the audience, it was very, very special. Oh, yeah. And what was it like to to work with that director, Zalen Livingston, who's one of the youngest, and also I think being the only white member of an all black cast? And all yeah, yeah. Well, Jalen was the youngest um, black director in Broadway history and the second youngest director in Broadway history behind Orson Welles. And Jalen is a genius. I, I had such an, I couldn't believe he was like 26 or whatever. He's such a, 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 a wise beyond his years director who I would love to work with again. Um, and, you know, I was the only white person in that cast. <clears throat> they, they, it was so, it was, I, I loved it. There was so many things that like, you know, like, that happened in that room that I, I that, that 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 don't happen in rooms that are predominantly white that were that were beautiful um, and I loved working with them and I loved when we would have predominantly black audiences because the play was so it spoke to them so 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 well but I also loved like the white audiences 
maybe not knowing quite what it was going to be at first and coming around to it. That was really thrilling. Um, I thought it was, um, and that, that play, I'm so proud because that play is one of the most produced plays in the country two years in a row, which is wow. pretty, yeah, pretty spectacular. And do you find that coming out of the pandemic that different kinds of parts have sort of interested you or been offered to you or that things have changed in that way? Hmm. Not really. I mean, I think, I don't think really there have been that, there hasn't, there hasn't been that much of a shift uh, in the kinds of work that I've been offered. Um, but I definitely, uh, definitely grateful that we're out of it and I'm, I'm 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 grateful that people still want me to be in things uh, but uh it feels like things are things are really starting to starting to like be back to normal which is cool oh yeah that's great i do have to i do have to run i'm so so oh. sorry um oh, no problem i'm so <laughs> sorry i'm having such a nice time talking to you i hate to oh. cut this short no no uh, problem you too um could i ask one concluding question yes. oh great yeah, well, yeah. So I'd love to just end by asking with such a wonderful career, what advice would you give to someone just starting out? And... Well, I think the, the best advice I could give you if you're just starting out in show business is to, to say yes to everything. The luxury of show business is when you can't say yes to something, is when you're too busy to say yes to something. Um, if somebody wants you for something, follow that. Follow that lead. Um, don't get hung up on the things that you want that aren't coming your way. Follow the things that are coming your way. Do everything until you can't. Because you might have an idea of what you want to be in your head, but it might not be the same thing that other people want. And find the place, find the happy spot in the middle there. Let people tell you what they want you to do and do it. <laughs> um, and don't get bogged down in the things that you want that you're not getting. Oh yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm oh, it's so nice. I'm so happy to meet you, Charles. Oh, and yeah. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next time when I'm joined by the Tony-winning actress, Leslie Uggams. Miss Uggams' many starring roles on Broadway include Hallelujah Baby, Her First Roman, Anything Goes, Jerry's Girls, Thoroughly Modern Millie, King Hedley II, and On Golden Pond, and her new movie Dottie and Soul is now available to stream. You won't want to miss this informative interview with a true legend of the stage, so make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening. <laughs>